This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. A lot to say about Johnny T-Shirt a little bit later in the podcast, but gentlemen, let's get right into it. Greg, something uh, you freely admit you're tired of hearing, as am I, but I think it's a discussion point. Obviously, all week, Carolina has been drilled to talk about the energy factor of the game and the fact that they lacked energy against Wake Forest and therefore they lost. I'm not 100% sure that that's accurate, though. Uh, they'll face a team Saturday, tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast on Friday. That'll bring it just as much, if not more, than Wake Forest brought a week ago. Your thoughts on Carolina talking that aspect of uh, this pregame or leading up to this game up so much? Well, for one, if this team doesn't play with energy, like Mike Brown said on Monday, they're going to lose a lot of these games. The other aspect is, is if a team that has won seven games in three years is not playing with a lot of energy, there's a lot of issues going on. Now, the good thing about them talking about energy all week long is it's no longer a discussion point. It's no longer, eh, well, we took somebody lightly. From this point forward, it's been drilled into their head. If they need an example, if they want to use Wake Forest as an example for that, that's fine. There is no reason for that to occur the rest of the way. Um, I do think Mac made a good point, although I don't think it's specific to energy. Earlier this week when he said, I guess it was Frank Boyles told him years ago, you better hope that you have more talent than half the teams on your roster or on your schedule because there's going to be games when you don't come out and don't play your best and if you want to have a successful season, you've got to have more talent so you can win some of those games. I think that isn't 100% true. And that's one of the reasons the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world are able to, I don't want to say sleepwalk, but they're able to, to play with their B game and still win a lot of these games. That doesn't mean they're not playing with energy, though. That means maybe they're not executing the way they need to be. But as long as they have the talent, uh, they can win a lot of those games. This team does not have that level of talent. As we've talked about ad nauseum for nine months now, they've got some good pieces in the first unit. They've got some young guys that are coming along. Uh, but they have to play with, with max energy, max passion, and they have to execute to win a lot of these games. Uh, and so, yeah, if, if this needs to be the week where we talk about energy, and everybody you know, points to Wake Forest, and that's that one game like ECU was last year, fine. But 
I don't think we should waste our time talking about energy as a component of this in the weeks to come because all these games are going to be 50-50 games. And if they don't play with energy and they don't execute, they're going to lose a lot of them. That's just how it goes. Uh, and I think that's that's how they have to approach it moving forward. Jason, fact of the matter is um, it's tough to be on your A game every week, like Greg said. You You would think – you know, sitting on the couch, you would think, hey, why can't they be ready to play 11, 12, 13 games a week? I don't <laughs> understand it. I would. But explain that that's not all the case. And also, always the case, but also, not only is that not always the case, that's not necessarily why they got punched in the teeth last week. Yeah, I'm going to take the second part first because I – I I get so tired of, of energy or taking a team lightly types of excuses uh, or narr- if it, even if it's not an excuse, it's a narrative that I think is is so often used and it's rarely true. You hear about teams coming out flat. Oh, well, you know, they came out flat. We came out flat. You know, more teams come out overly hyped up than teams come out flat. Now, when you come out overly hyped, you know what you look like? You look like a flat team. Because at the uh, ultimately what matters is attention to detail and actually executing your responsibility, doing your job. That's what matters in football. And if you come out, I, I'm just of the view that once you start playing the game, I mean, the hype or energy, whatever you want to call it, lasts like two plays. Because once you get out there and you're just playing ball, you're playing ball. Now, if you are going through the motions out in the field, then that's a, that's a whole different issue. But I didn't see a whole lot of that from Carolina against, against Wake Forest. I didn't see a lot of evidence of it. Now, had I been on this coaching staff, I would have hammered the heck out of it just to make sure that I got more out of my players and convinced them that it's that that the that the necessary attention to detail and energy in practice all week is what was necessary. It's not about the energy in the game. Now, where I can buy it is if you, and this is where it's it, the, the reason that you don't get the A game every week is there's a, there's a good uh, a good saying that you don't get like if you're a professional for for something, if you're a professional athlete. You don't get paid for the games. Now, that's what you actually, like, that's on the paycheck. But you don't get paid to play in games. You get paid to practice. You get paid to be really, really focused and fixated on being great. And it's the practice that makes you, that makes you prepared to actually play well in the games. The games, is, the games are, are just the after effect of all that preparation. And that's true in college football as well. It's not you you win games with practice habits. Now you can win a game, you know, with, with a few lucky bounces, with you know, just coming out and 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 things going right for you. Yeah, you can do that. But over the over the long haul, you win games with consistency and practice and with consistent with, with consistent attention to detail, with day in, day out, not tuning out focusing on making sure you get this right so that when it when that happens in the game it's second nature you're not thinking you're not doing the wrong thing you're not reacting improperly that's what and 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 the teams get better teams 
win games or lose games in practice. And that's where you can start to maybe say, okay, well, maybe there was a, maybe they did have low energy the prior week. And this is where, you know, Mac Brown had complained that week. He said, well, you know, I, th- I feel like our energy is, is a little low. He had said early in the week, he was not happy with the, with the practice, with the practices early in the week. And I think if anything, that's where, where the, the critique or where the energy thing comes in. It's not a matter of like, oh, they had a buzz on the sideline or whatever where I can buy it, and this is why it's so hard to bring your A game every day, every week, is, well, let me just ask this. How many people listening to this bring your A game to work every day? How many people, yeah, exactly. How many people get there on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday and you have you 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 are exactly the same level of razor sharp focus at work every day. If you are out there, I want to meet you. Actually, on second thought, I probably would rather not meet you, and your coworkers probably hate you. <laughs> no, I mean, really, we all should we we all aspire to be that. But the reality is that you know, one night you've got a little extra homework. Yeah, uh, you've got a girlfriend problems. You've got you know any number of things that may come up, and then the next day you've got you didn't get enough sleep. You maybe had you know just a little bit less food than you than you wanted, or maybe less ideal food than what you wanted. Maybe you're spending a little bit too much time with you know some gumbies or some other college food, and all of a sudden you you come into practice and the level of focus is just a little little less. And, you know, the attention to detail is just a little less and you're not getting all the reps. So when you're not getting those reps, well, it's easy to kind of tune out. Oh, and then where are you learning? Well, you're learning in you're learning in the film room. When you're going over game plan, when you're going when you're watching film, when you're doing all that. And that's just another class. It's like being in class. Well, you know, guys start to fade a little bit over the course of, of, of just a single film session, let alone multiple film sessions over the course of the week, multiple install sessions in the, in the meeting room. It's really hard to, to stay on, to stay completely focused through all of that. And the best teams are the ones that, well, first of all, they have better physical talent, but the ones that actually, your Alabamas of the world, one of the things that, that, that differentiates them from other teams that have great talent aside from the fact that they have that much more talent than everybody else. But what, what differentiates them is they've created a culture where players hold one another accountable to stay, to stay focused on attention to detail. So as one guy's starting to fade in the, in the film room, you see the other guy kind of slap him like, Hey, Hey, pay attention, man. Instead of pulling each other the, the wrong direction. Right. That's when you've got the culture rolling in the right direction. The other thing is when you have enough talent on your roster, if a guy has a couple kind of less solid days in a row and maybe falls asleep in film session or something, you got another guy who can step up and take his reps, take his spot. And maybe he plays more that week. Well, then that guy is going to be a little bit more incentivized to make sure that he does his job just a little bit better every day. There's just a little bit of fear of losing your spot that is going to keep you, keep you moving. So that's another piece. But it, the, the reason that teams wind up having inconsistency week to week is you win games during the week. And 
it's just hard to bring it with championship level focus with 100% focus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of every week before you even get to get to Saturday you have to be really really good in those days. That's what makes the difference. And I do believe that, you know, coming off of the win against Miami, which is a really physical game, it was a late night game, probably not feeling that rested. You're a little banged up early in the week. Maybe you're a little sluggish. That, that, I, that I believe. So that's where the energy narrative kind of works. But I do get tired of it when I see it in games, when I see about that in games. And it is easier also, by the way, for, for teams to keep that energy to stay focused all week when it's a hated rival or where, when it's a, a chance to upset a team that, you know, you, you really think you can beat or something like that. And it's harder to keep the focus against a team that you don't respect as much. That's true. But anyway, there's a little bit longer than probably <laughs> I wanted to go there, but hopefully that paints the picture of why it, why that inconsistency exists in college football. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's the same, like you mentioned in the workplace and everything you got, uh, who knows what's going on in the minds of people, and then you throw in the college life thing and all that. <laughs> I wish I could say I was focused every day of college. Uh, Greg, which goes back to another point Jason made in there, and Mac Brown really hit on that a lot in his post-practice pressers talking about the senior leadership and losing guys that are seniors that are players other people have to step up. He's, he mentioned Sam Howe started to step up. You know, Michael Carter's an energy guy or whatever. Um, but I think people vastly underestimate the importance of upper class, especially senior leadership within a college program. It's more than just um, having guys who's been through the fight. It's having guys like Jason mentioned that can pull others along, who can get others back focused up and I think they need to be on the field, not necessarily um, like Nick Polino and, and Patrice Renee. Those guys are hurt. They're there. They're available, but it's not the same. And I think this team has struggled with that. Um, I think they struggled with it last week. I think it needs to be cured in a hurry going into Saturday at 3.30. Yeah, and that's one thing Aaron Crawford talked about after the game. He said, you know, we have this great collection of, of leaders in the senior class. And then you go into this game, you don't have Strobridge, you don't have Renee, you don't have Polino, like you said. And all of a sudden you have these massive gaps and where things had been spread out leadership wise, especially on the field, uh, they really found themselves in the hole early because they weren't able to adjust. And I, to me, that's really what I took away from, from Crawford's comments is like, man, you know, we, we, we didn't do what we needed to do as leaders. Uh, to kind of make sure we adjusted well enough to address those issues. And so I think that should be better uh, this week because of that. It's interesting to me, you know, Larry Fedora and you know other coaches who are not as successful don't have the resume of a Mac Brown talk about, well, you got to have your know, player led teams because coaches can only do so much. And fans hear that and say, ah, it's the coach's fault. It's your responsibility. But Mac Brown says it, and everybody's like, oh, okay, it makes sense. That's, that's just kind of how the world works. But it's exactly, it's exactly the case. And you know, if you've got that leadership on the field, like you say, you know, in practice is important for sure. And in the film room, certainly all of it's important. But on the field, when you're under fire and you're a little bit shaky, somebody's got to be there to say, hey, we're fine. Settle down. 
key in on what you're supposed to be doing and we'll get through this. Uh, and, and that is very important, especially with the team, you know, as we talked about in the offseason, the coaching staff did a really good job building confidence. But until you have those shared experiences, you don't really know how to respond. And so that confidence, uh, it, it sounds good and it feels good early, but that is a deep-rooted thing. To have true confidence in yourself and your teammates, a lot goes into that. And you have to go through the fires to understand that. You have to have those shared experiences. And so North Carolina had a lot of success the first two weeks of the year. And so while there was adversity within the game, they haven't experienced a loss. And so I think that's one of the benefits of, of having that one game against Wake where things didn't go your way, you weren't able to pull it out at the end, to really kind of test the resolve of the team and see how they react this week. Uh, as Jason said, you know, there's especially the Tuesday practices, you know, last two games, or first two games, Mac was not happy with the energy and how those guys were approaching practice. Uh, he, he liked what he saw this Tuesday. Is that growth? Maybe. I mean, we'll find out. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think the senior leadership dynamic is, is so critically important, especially for this team that has been through some rough times in the past years. Hey, you look at a team like Wake Forest, they're loaded with it. And, and, you know, those teams like that, Boston College is not very good this year, but they're usually loaded with upper-class experience. I mean, that stuff will win out when it comes to 50-50 games where they get the upper hand. They're able to to come out on fire and, and make plays to get an upper hand, and then they hold on. Let me talk a little bit about Johnny T-shirt right fast. And this is important for folks that listen to us um, because it's important on Saturday if you're with us in the bowls lot as well. Don't know if you saw. If you didn't see, you need to check out Buck's column on the website. We'll be in the bowls lot doing the WCHL Inside Carolina Countdown to Kickoff show, and Johnny T-shirt is a huge part of that. They're also on Franklin Street, as you all know, and they're online at johnnytshirt.com. They're a great sponsor of this podcast. They, they're going to have swag at, in the bowls lot, a free jersey um, if you win it, football, some other stuff going on out there. CHL will have their stuff. But johnnytshirt.com and Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, if you have the wrong color for a Carolina football game, it is not their fault because they literally have everything you could imagine. johnnytshirt.com, Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, and 10% off your Inside Carolina order if you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Great folks. They do wonderful things for Inside Carolina. They do wonderful things for Carolina fans place to be to get your Carolina gear, Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Jason, um, you know, a lot of people say, why didn't Carolina start playing offense until the fourth quarter? I thought your um, your breakdowns, your video breakdowns were excellent showing that. And, and I didn't see a lot of people open deep for Sam Howell um, whenever ESPN decided to show more than just um, a 10-yard chunk of the field. But you know, looking ahead, is it time to just let him sling it? And how difficult for him is it, do you think, to get back into that quote-unquote gunslinger mode where the first three games, to me, my uneducated eye, it looks like he's doing his best to protect the football, which is what the coaches have certainly asked him to do. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be difficult for him to flip that switch at any at any point, I mean, we've we've kind of got evidence for that based on the fourth quarter performances that he keeps putting up when they when it's pretty clear that they kind of let him 
let him take some of those shots or whether that's a matter of they say something to him or whether he kind of has that switch flip. Uh, you can see him take a, a much more aggressive approach with the football in the fourth quarter. I mean, same concept, same kinds of throws and he'll maybe not, not even make the, make the attempt in the, in the first three quarters. And then all of a sudden fourth quarter comes and he's just slinging it. And, uh, and so I don't think it'll be difficult for him to make that transition. It's just a matter of them basically saying, okay, Sam, don't, you know, don't worry about, uh, don't, you, you don't want to, to, this to go too far, but okay. Don't worry about throwing an interception here. Like let's not play to not throw interceptions. Let's just take what what's there within the offense. And if the guy's there, take it as that. And, and some of that is going to be a matter of just getting comfortable earlier in the game because, again, he is still going to be inclined to want to protect the football, and you do want him to protect the football. But as he as the game starts to slow down and all that, that, flip, that switch is going to flip, and he's going to be able to, to start taking some shots. Uh, and there were some shots there early against Wake Forest. I mean, particularly in the third quarter, there, there, there was the one that I highlighted in, uh, uh, on Inside Carolina where – we talked about exactly what he could have done on that particular play. And it's just a matter of actually waiting just a beat longer and then letting it loose and recognizing which direction the safety's turned. And that guy doesn't look open initially, but that's open in college. In high school, you expect your guy to be a little more open, but open in college is a little different and you've got to, you've got to recognize where the, where the coverage is and take your shot based on what college open is. He's shown he can do that in the fourth quarter. I think we're going to see it starting to develop over the course of the season where he gets more comfortable, but you know, they're not, this is not a situation where the staff is, has got him completely handcuffed and they're refusing to play offense through the first three quarters. I think the other really big factor in the first half in particular, and you, you mentioned you didn't see a lot of guys open when ESPN actually decided that they would allow us to see more than six players on screen at once because it's apparently <laughs> 1981. But hey, it was a it was a it were it was better angles than the uh, Florida State Virginia game this week where there were literally downfield passes that you didn't see hit the receiver or the defensive back because the camera was still on the quarterback. I'm actually, by the way, I'm I'm actually starting a website. I've got I'm I'm in the process of building it, and I'm putting up a couple of videos on this called ShowTheSafeties.com. It should be up within about a about a week. I'm starting a petition to get ESPN and CBS and others to shoot games so that we can actually see what's freaking going on downfield when it's a pass play because teams actually pass now, and we have HD TVs with widescreen, and they don't use it. So I'm starting this. To, I, I've I've gotten passionate enough about this. But I'm starting to dang petition about this. I'll let you all know when it's active. But um, <laughs> let us know when you get there, because that's one reason I like to sit up in the upper deck because you can see the entire field. Yeah, so I'm starting a dang petition, and I'm 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 gonna try to get this to go viral so that ESPN and CBS and whoever else realizes that, like, you know, people actually might want to watch this shot. Like, you know, it's a modern football game instead of a game where everybody everything's played in the box and nobody throws. <laughs> But anyway, um, <laughs> I digress. Uh, that um, they're not the, the thing that held them back early more than anything else was that they weren't able to run the ball because of some issues on the interior. There were some missed assignments. Uh, some of what Wake was able to do in terms of triggering their linebackers and some some 
stunting and some some run blitzes and things were able to catch him. And so they were consistently in second and third and long, which is not when you want Howell to be taking his shots. That was the biggest issue. And it's not a matter of they decided not to play offense. It's just they didn't execute very well. And again, that's not an energy issue so much as it is. You had some guys, you know, with Polino being out, you had some you had some guys and also an injury at right tackle uh, pretty early. You had some guys that were not as used to playing together. You end up with some some busts and you got all sorts of problems there. And I think that was the bigger issue early. Yeah, before we dive into the third down conversation and all that goes into there, which I think is a, a fascinating discussion, I did want to touch on uh, what Jason was talking about there in terms of Sam Howe and his performance in the fourth quarter. And if it's a matter of play calling, if it's a matter of him understanding what he needs to do better and being comfortable. Deami Brown offered a quote on Tuesday, which I found fascinating. And it, it is a player. Uh, he may not know exactly what's going into the game plan, likely doesn't. So take it for what it's worth. I found it interesting. Uh, he was talking about, he was asked about Sam Howe playing well in the fourth quarter. And he said, quote, I think that's when the playbook opens up even more. We've been down the past three games in the fourth. So when coach opens up the playbook and, and lets him be him, meaning Sam, his numbers show. I think we need to get that early on in the game and see how it rolls. So I just found that found that interesting. That is uh, indeed contrary, Jason, mm-hmm. to what you just spoke of. I do think it's an execution issue, especially on the offensive line, but it just seems to me for whatever reason, and maybe you can offer why he, if it is a him, a Howell thing, why is he more comfortable then than straight out of the gate? I mean, is it a hell with it, we're down, let's go type thing? That, that, I think that's, I think that's, that's probably it. That That's one of the most fascinating things to for me to watch him play is, is he gets looser the worst things get or the, or the, when they get behind and that's, that, that I mean, is that a, that's just in his nature, I suppose. I think that's a plan. I think that's a youth thing and it's a smart kid, a coach's son, somebody who knows, who knows that you, you can lose games early. And I mean, it, it strikes me that he's kind of playing not to lose until, well, you know, <laughs> we about to lose. <laughs> we're going to lose if we don't go out and win it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that. But again, he can flip that switch. I mean, we've seen him do it. It's just a matter of him actually doing it. And it's going to be some experience. It's going to be, you know, getting to where he settles in his own mind. Like, okay, I, I'm comfortable. I can, I can go ahead and take this because this is winning football. I'm not, I'm not playing not to lose now. And again, it's, it's one of those things that in camp and all that, you throw a few interceptions, you, you, you know, put the ball in danger a few times and you learn real quick that some of those some of those that might look open aren't always open in college. So you you're still getting adjusted there. And I think that that's that's part of this. But he's going to get a lot better over the course of the of the course of the season. I think we've already seen some improvement in some areas already, particularly uh, taking some throws on some of the RPO stuff and all that. I think he's already showing a little bit more comfort there. It's going to be it's going to be a thing where he's going to improve over the course of the season. 
Let's uh, before I go to break, I want to talk Greg a little bit about the offensive line. Um, they struggled, and you know, one part of the offensive line that we don't talk about enough, even though we've started to, is Carl Tucker's absence. I, I don't know his status for Saturday um, against Appalachian State, but it's huge for the rest of the year. But this offensive line, I mean, Brian Anderson, to his credit, stands up and, and takes all the questions from you guys in the weekly press conferences. But he needs to be better, and this offensive line can figure it out, needs to figure it out. My question, Greg, is how at this point um, when you're starting the process of guys are getting banged up, guys are in and out. It, you know, it, it is a – the year they were so good, nobody got hurt, and it's, n- like, never been that way f- ever. So this year, how does a, a, a youth – a youthful team, a guy like Charlie Heck, I mean, how does he pull it all together, cobble it all together for this offensive line to be coherent against App State and then down the road? Well, I think there's two aspects of it. And one thing that we heard in the offseason leading up to training camp was that Mac Brown and, and Stacey Searles wanted this offensive line to be tougher. They wanted them to be more physical. One thing we heard earlier this week when we asked that exact question to Phil Longo, what did he say? The guys have to be more physical. I, I think it's, it's kind of twofold. You have a lot of young guys up front playing. And so in terms of the technical side of things, they're still learning that in the heat of battle. You can rep it as much as you want in practice, uh, but it's a little bit different you know, when you're actually having to adjust for what the defense is doing in front of you. So you have the technical component. And sometimes you allow that to affect your physical play. Well, those are two different things. And so I think at a minimum, what what UNC's offensive coaches want their line wants their, their linemen to do is be physical every single time. You're going to make some mistakes. That's going to happen. That's part of the learning curve. But what we don't want to do is you worried so much maybe about the technique aspect of it that you're not being physical and then you're getting blown up. And I, I think more than anything. That's really kind of been the emphasis this week is just trying to be more physical early to establish a run game. You know, we've talked a lot about third down this week uh, and how when you're when you're looking at third and nine as your average, uh, there's only so many plays you can you can draw up in the dirt that's going to get you first downs. There's a reason that Larry Fedora, his goal for his offense, his goal was to convert 25 percent of third and longs. That's how tough it is. I mean, you're, you're putting everything in, in the defense's favor, and it's just a tough down to convert if you're in third and long that many times. So what happens is North Carolina the other night against Wake, uh, on, on first down of their 14 run plays, eight picked up two yards or less. Only three of their pass plays on first down picked up five yards or more. So – that tells us a couple of things. Number one, the, the bubble screens weren't working for what Wake was doing. But more than anything, what it tells us is that Wake was controlling the line of scrimmage. They were more physical. Uh, they were taking advantage of not only the, the weakness that North Carolina showed at times, but some of the, the technique breakdowns. And when that happens and you're behind the chains from the get-go, you're going to have a really hard time, and that makes you look worse on second and third downs. Uh, and so I really think that's the critical component. If the guys can play with with strength up front, even if they make an occasional mistake, 
but they can consistently be strong at the point of attack like they were for most of the game against South Carolina, especially they're late. I mean, they look real. They look like the dominant line against South Carolina in the fourth quarter. We all talked about that. We haven't really seen that the last two games necessarily. So kind of get back to that. And a reminder, Brian Anderson played the fourth quarter against South Carolina. He was the center for both those two long drives. So uh, if you can get back to that and play with that confidence and play with that physicality, that's going to give you some more opportunities on first down, which leads to more opportunities on second. And then you get into third and manageable. And all of a sudden those third and manageables, you're converting a lot more. That gets you on the keeps you on the field longer and you start to get some rhythm and those things snowball. Jason, that's it right there. And that's what I don't understand is why the digression from and granted we're just three games in, it's a long year, but why the 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 digression from South Carolina, Miami, they were good late against Miami, but then against Wake Forest, it just kind of the wheels kind of came off until the fourth quarter again. Uh, I mean, we talk about confidence, gaining confidence. That offensive line against South Carolina should have been over the moon. Or were they too far over the moon uh, and read too many press clippings or, or felt too good about themselves? I mean, what do you see that's going on? It, because it's like the first three games of the season have been a microcosm of many seasons past. Well, I mean, the first thing is that it's not the same offensive line that was out there against South Carolina. I mean, is, it, the, is that the issue? The, well, I, I think, in the I, fourth quarter. I think that's part of the issue. Yeah, I think that's part of the issue. I mean, you look at what three quarters against Wake were, were with two of the two of the guys that were in there against South Carolina for the majority of that game that were that were off the field. You're looking at three fifths of the same line. And the thing about an offensive line is the more continuity you get, the better the the better the group works as a unit. And Right now, I mean, you're in a, you're in a different system. Although the the system the system is not that different in terms of what they're asking them to do up front, uh, from what Fedora would ask them to do. I mean, inside zone is inside zone. I mean, you 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 can emphasize different things a little bit differently, but you know, you still assignments don't really change that much. But you know, you still have to get comfortable with the guy next to you. And you know, our, our very own Mike Ingersoll likes to talk about how it takes nearly 200 snaps of real game time being next to a guy before you're really comfortable working in unison with that guy. And I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I think if you look at the, at the struggles that they had against Wake Forest, it was less when you had guys getting their hands on guys that they were getting physically whipped. It was much more that Wake would stunt and a guy who was slanting across the face of one guy wouldn't get picked up by the next guy you wouldn't see it get properly passed off or you'd see a puller who would miss the, who would come down the line, not quite tight enough and let somebody cross his face and spill the, spill the carry, spill the ball carrier to the outside. It's those little things in terms of attention to detail. And some of that was happening with the guys that had not been out there. And some of it was happening, I think with guys that were next to guys who had not been out there. And I think that's also a factor that, I look at it and I go, yeah, I mean, this is not a matter of them getting physically whipped. This is a matter of a little bit of a lack of attention to detail in terms of assignment soundness, a little bit of a lack of attention to detail in terms of technique, 
in certain cases, you know, we, you, when you're coming down as a puller and you're leaving a yard and a half instead of about a half a yard between you and the line of scrimmage, and you're letting that guy cross your face and spill it, that's, that's again, that's attention to detail. To me, it was more that, although I, I did think that they, that they got passive, but I think part of that is when you start missing assignments or when you're, when you're unsure of yourself, you don't play fast, you don't play physical. And why not just stick the smart in there too? Because you know we can. (laughs) I couldn't resist, but you know that uh, that to me is where the where the offensive line has the majority of its problems. Yes, I would love to see them be more physical, but first and foremost, you have to be assignment sound and technique sound. And as you get confidence in that, then you then the physicality I think starts to come. And and I think that's that's kind of the thing that that we saw against wake that was more of a, more of an issue against Miami. I think you could say it was a little bit more physicality at times because there were times where they just got beat, but wake, I thought more of it was, was assignments and technique. Great points. All but one. I'm going to take a short break. Come back. We're (laughs) going to get into the, uh, we'll get into the game plan portion of the podcast, Uh, but we'll be right back after this break. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, we're back. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com, the Game Plan podcast with Tommy Ashley, myself, Jason Staples, and Greg Barnes. Greg, so I'll kick it to you first. Carolina's offensive approach against Appalachian State. We've sort of led into this portion, talking about the offensive line, talking about Sam Howell. Uh, do you expect to see anything different against the Mountaineers when they come to Keenan Stadium on Saturday? Uh, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot different. I, mean, I think Phil Longo is slowly kind of building what his offense is going to look like, and uh, we're going to see a little bit of expansion of that, and you'll see a little bit of tweaks depending on what Ted Roof wants to do for, for App State. I do think the fact that App State hasn't had to show a whole lot, um, I think that does add a little bit of a wrinkle in that. You're not exactly sure. I mean, obviously, Ted Roof has so much film on kind of what his preferences are. You can look at that. But how he's actually applying it to the App State uh, personnel that he has, uh, I think, is, is somewhat of a, an interesting dynamic. Um, but I think you know, when you when you really look at what North Carolina has to be able to do effectively, they have to be able to run the ball. And you can look at Miami. You can look at. Uh, wake for where North Carolina for the most part had had their success running the ball it was on the edge and so I think the question becomes 
do you really try to uh, establish some ground game uh, in between the tackles? And you know, you, you want to keep you know pulling your guard and, and doing all those things that the Longo likes to do, and and establishing a power run game, uh, or, or do you try to utilize some of the speed that you got and, and really uh, hit on the edges? I mean, the uh, the Pro Football Focus stats in that regard are, are pretty telling, and that's that's really where they had success against Miami late. That's where they found some success against Wake, um, and so whatever you have to do to generate the the ground game is going to be critical. I do think, you know, as we talked about earlier, getting Sam kind of going um, earlier would be beneficial, whatever that takes. If it's conversation with him, if it's changing up the game plan a little bit, whatever that may be, I think that's certainly a good thing. But you know, there's a reason that the coaching staff and Mac Brown specifically has has hyped those running backs and. Uh, the idea, even after the first game, was, you know, we're going to have to lean on the running backs and then take some pressure off of, of Sam and and then let him do what he needs to do as the game progresses. You have to stick with that. And so if you're going to stick with that, you have to figure out how to make sure you're able to run the ball. Uh, and it's really been hit or miss. It hasn't been very good since Polino went down. And whether it's the physicality, whether it's, you know, simply guys getting used to each other and, and the technique involved, like Jason said, whatever it is, you've got to get that ironed out because that's going to be a key component on on Saturday. Jason, we talked last week about how they would pound the ball early and want to exert their will onto a smallish Wake Forest defensive line. Well, I would think that Appalachian State falls in that same category. So my question is, A, do they – do they actually attempt to do that? Because I don't think they did that right out of the gate against Wake. And also, um, how much will Ted Roof implement what Wake Forest did last week? Or is Ted Roof just going to Ted Roof against Carolina's offense on Saturday? <laughs> I mean, I think you are who you are. I mean, you can't, you can't, be, you can't install a totally different defense than, than what you already run. But – so a couple of the the stunts or little looks that that Wake used those are within Roof's defensive system. Uh, you know you can you can absolutely do some of that stuff. So I, I expect that you'll see some of it. Uh, but again, as we talked about in the lead up to the Wake game, that that they were a small and quick defensive front. They're gonna that their objective was gonna be to give Carolina some difficulty with quickness, and they did. Uh, and that's what App State brings. I mean, their nose tackles are 270. That's that's not very big in a 3-4 system. Their outside linebackers are 215. You know, in a, in a, in a 3-4, that's small. So what you what you have to prepare yourself for is basically you know, you're fighting bees basically. You have to you have to find a way to get your hands on these guys. Because if you can do that, you can win. But the the issue is making sure that you don't wind up trying to block a guy who's quick and then not laying a hand on him, and you got two, three guys hitting your ball carrier. Uh, and that's whatever you feel is your is your bread and butter to be able to get hands on people and and be able to move them just a little bit. Whether that's like like what you were saying, Greg. Whether you want to maybe use some outside zone. Whether you want to use some concepts that that don't require a whole lot of uh, 
you know, pulling or, or mobility from your offensive line against a really quick front, maybe that's what you do. Or, you know, you maybe you just rep what you what you really believe in, which is some of that power power stuff. Maybe you just rep it and make sure that you're getting it right this week. Either way, you've got to be able to run the football against this team. Uh, that said, I mean, they did give up, what, 40-plus points against Charlotte? And uh, looking at the numbers, Charlotte's quarterback was thirty uh, was 20 of 31 for 296 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick. Now, App State still won that game 56 to 41, but they did give up some some yardage. So, you know, in the same way that App's going to be studying that wake, wake tape, I can promise you that Carolina is going to be looking at what, what Charlotte did last week and saying, our athletes are better than they got on, on offense. You know, how much of this stuff can we do to get, that gave them problems? And I think a lot of that, again, looking at the numbers and looking at how that game transpired, I think a lot of that is because App is replacing a lot in the secondary. They were really good against the pass last year. And this year, I, th- I think they're a little green back there. They've got some quickness, and they've got some athletes back there. I mean, they, they're, they are really athletic for a Sunbelt team in particular. I mean, they, they are as athletic as some of the teams in the ACC in terms of how, how quick they are, how fast they move. They're just a little bit smaller. But uh, you, you, I think you want to test them a little bit in the passing game early, early on to see whether or not Howell can kind of have the same, the same uh, – production as as charlotte did in the passing game because i mean you've, you've got to you've got to think that if they gave up that kind of yardage there and they gave up 63 percent and one touchdown to east tennessee state's quarterback as well although they only gave up seven in that game so you know you got to wonder whether or not you you've got a chance to maybe take some shots early and give your give your quarterback uh, some confidence against a, a group that hasn't been quite as good against the pass this year as they were the last couple Greg, you think we see Jace Ruder? <laughs> uh, I do find that dynamic fascinating because if you listen to Mac, he's pretty adamant that he wants both quarterbacks to play because he wants he wants both guys to have experience just due to injuries. And it's almost as if he was <laughs> using the media on Monday to kind of push the issue with, with Longo a little bit. Uh, and you know, Longo, of course, that is very, very situational, uh, w- which I get. And the fact, really, what they were trying to do against Wake is just give Sam a breather and let him kind of watch how things were working out from the sidelines, just to give him a different perspective. Uh, whether or not you know that's entirely true, you know, who knows? I think Jace brings a unique uh, skill set. And I think he has a good enough arm. I mean, clearly the, the coaching staff thinks he does, even though you know, he really just kind of ran the ball the two two series he was then. I know he threw the pass. Uh, but I think it's a good way to mix things up. And I think if you're struggling to run the ball, uh, that's a good way to, uh, you know, not a big fan of the kind of the wildcat idea. But uh, if you want to have a few design run plays for him to try to get things going, kind of get the, the offense moving, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I, somebody on the message board made note of this. And I think it's I think it's accurate. But there've been a couple of plays where where Hal uh, kind of scrambles when he shouldn't, and it's almost as if you know when he was in high school he could scramble on that play and pick up a first down, no problem. 
at this level, that's not going to work. And so part of that is the learning process. Um, but he's a he's a passing quarterback who has the ability to run some. I think Reuter truly is a dual threat quarterback. And so it just gives you kind of a different look. Uh, I, I don't know how much we'll actually see it, but it, I, I do find it pretty funny that, that Mac is, is so adamant that both guys need to play. Yeah, you, you know what Buck always says, and I thought that Reuter looked pretty good. I, I mean, I think it's different to – and Jason, your opinion on this, it's different to put one in when the other's struggling than playing two quarterbacks. I mean, I think that's a very different thing, is it not? Oh, I, I really think it is. Uh, when when you when you're pull the one comes across as you're pulling a guy. Yeah. Right? You're not playing well, so we're gonna we're gonna get you out of there and get somebody in to play a little better. That that <sighs> everything communicated is different there than all right well we're gonna make we're gonna make some plans here to make sure that our number two guy has some packages here and we're gonna make sure that depending on where we're at in the game we're gonna try to get him a series or two you know and and work him in because he brings some other stuff to the table and we also want to have him ready in case in case the, the the number one guy goes down that psychologically for both guys is very different it just is and I mean, I, I don't know that I need to spell it out any more than that, but you get pulled when you're not playing well. If there's not already a plan for, you know, a a package or two to come in around that time, you're feeling that real, really differently. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I'm not trying to stir it up or whatever, but it, I think it, it would is be your an thing. It's a backup quarterback. <laughs> it is, you know, it would be an interesting dynamic to see both get run. Um, and that's not knocking either one of them. I just think, you know, if it's, you know, do you wait six, three and outs to switch it up? Or do you, you know, go after a couple or do you just run it um, every third series or, or stuff? People say if you don't have, if you have two, you don't have any. But anyway, let's let's turn to the defensive side of the ball. And this is something that, uh, you know, they've talked about preparing for App State and, We've mentioned that App State didn't have to show a lot, but Greg, same question when I asked Jason about Ted Roof. I mean, Drinkwitz is Carolina's got tons of tape on him, but how different um, is App State's approach to Carolina's defense than maybe NC State's would be? Obviously, they don't have the 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 beef to pound Carolina like State tries to do, but you know, how's Carolina approach this App State offense that can put some points up? in a hurry if you're, if you're not careful defending them. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, fun to watch what Drinkwitz decides to do because he, he, State always has success when he was there kind of running against North Carolina, but they were predominantly a, a pass-heavy team. And part of that was with, with Finley being there. Uh, and App State, of course, under Satterfield, was always kind of a run-dominant team. And when you've got – you know, nine or 10 returning starters. Uh, you know, Zach Thomas is not necessarily a, a gunslinger type quarterback. Uh, you know, he's kind of a dual threat guy, but he can throw the ball. Uh, Darrington Evans is solid. And then you've got three all-conference offensive linemen. So I think, I think what Eli decides to do uh, is going to be one of the kind of telling things about this game. And you would have to think that with the success that they've had running the ball, 
at least with this group of players, you've got to stick with that. And they, I mean, they, they clearly did the first two games, but again, they didn't have to show anything. Um, so I, I think you'll see them try to establish the run, but also have plenty of plays in there where, where they can go with the pass. Um, and we'll get to see kind of a more enhanced playbook, uh, how much that looks like what NC State did. Uh, we'll have to see. Jay Bateman seemed pretty pretty clear that, yeah, yeah we, we didn't see anything. It was all vanilla first two games. So we've been watching a lot of NC State film. Which which makes sense. So what what Eli decides to do in terms of does he go full? This is kind of what he does. Does he mix it up because of this personnel grouping that he has? Uh, that that's going to be interesting to me. And then of course, you know, from the North Carolina standpoint, we saw the impact of not having Jason Strobridge uh, on, on Friday night. And I think part of that too was in talking with some of the players after the game. Uh, they had some specific things in mind for, for Strobridge and kind of lining him up over you know, one of the tackles they thought they could take advantage of. So a lot of the plays had been set up with him in that position. Uh, and with it being, you know, they, they thought he was going to play on Thursday. Uh, Friday, right before the game, he goes to warm-ups and they yank him out. And so you have to think it took the coaching staff a little bit of time to adjust. Uh, by the second half, they had it figured out, but maybe that was part of the issue early. But I think with him back in there, uh, that should give North Carolina a, a much stronger front against that run, which may force uh, Eli's hand and, and throwing the ball maybe more than he wants to. Jason, when you have a dynamic guy like Strobridge, how much of your game plan, seriously, how much of your game plan is um, based off that one guy's ability? A guy like Strobridge, because clearly Carolina was – they struggled early and, and maybe Strobridge makes a difference last week. Um, maybe he doesn't, but when you're building a game plan, especially for a team like Appalachian state and you're North Carolina, how, how much do you base that game plan on the ability of one of your guys against, you know, whatever matchup you see that might work. If it's your best dude, especially if it's your best dude up front, then you're going to, you're going to be taking some of that into account in terms of how you, how you arrange your calls. So, you know, Bateman's defense has a lot of flexibility built in and, and, and it's not a matter of like what you're coaching your guys to do necessarily, but your calls against specific things that you have prepped in terms of game plan early in the week that when they come out in this situation, they tend to do these three things or these four things. And when they're in this formation, then 40% of the time they do this, 20% of the time they do this. So here are the three calls that we're going to have as our as our standard calls against that down and distance and that personnel group. Well, if you've got a dude that you think is going to win one-on-one matchups anytime he gets him on the on the, on the uh, defensive line, you're going to try to find ways to make sure that that dude gets one-on-one matchups. Or if you've got a guy that you think can two gap a bunch and and take up occupy an extra gap in the run game, then you start calling to that strength. You that's that's how you're you're prepared to to go into the game. And all of a sudden when that guy's not there and you and and the drop off is pretty big, then you can't just call to make sure that you're getting some of the extra benefit of having that dude up there. And that's where that that's where that changes. Now I don't think they really called the game all that differently in the second half against Wake. I just think Wake managed to to get three drives back to back to back basically in the first half 
that sort of broke the tendency of how things were going over the course of the game. I mean, the defense by and large kept Wake bottled up most of the game. They just, after the fumble, they got Carolina off balance and were able to score. And then one of the other two scores was basically just a result of a really good little wrinkle where they went real fast and they went with an unbalanced ineligible receiver formation that suckered Carolina's uh, secondary just a little bit to into making a mistake. And you got a, a long completion for a touchdown there. But other than other than that in the fumble, I mean, they gave up one drive for, for a touchdown. So, I mean, I didn't think that they really made a ton of, a ton of changes, even though it, it does change a little bit about how you're thinking about certain things in certain down and distance opportunities, and particularly in certain pass rush things. Maybe you think you need to blitz a little bit more. Maybe you need to bring a different pressure if you can't rely on that guy to get pressure from his spot. That's really where I think the biggest difference is. Greg, before we get to the predictions, uh, Strobridge plays. How happy does that make Aaron Crawford? Because he <laughs> he sucked up all the extra blocks for Strobridge last Friday night, and still played a pretty good ball game. But having Stro out there, it frees up Crawford so much more. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the fact that you know Mac Brown is is willing to say that. You know, it, it's kind of improved from Jason Strobridge is one of our better pass rushers to, to now it's Jason Strobridge is probably our best player overall. Uh, and so when you've got a guy like Crawford, who's really the kind of the heart and soul of that that defense. He's he's the vocal leader on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, he, he may not be the, the flashiest, he may not be the quickest, but he's strong and he's effective in the middle. And so when you have to deal with that, and you have a guy like Strobridge on the edge, as well as Fox on the other side, that's going to be a challenge for every single team that North Carolina faces. Um, you know, I do think it's a good sign that, that last week we saw a lot of Zach Gill play a lot of minutes at that defensive end spot. And for the most part, he played pretty well. And you know, uh, Tamari Fox has played a lot. He's looked good. So it's beneficial for everybody that you know, these guys are getting extra reps and just, you know, allowing them to – to, to get some breathers. And I think it's, the fact that it's supposed to be nice weather on Saturday, it's not going to be quite as hot as it was in Winston-Salem. Even though that was a night game, it was still very steamy on the field. I think that helps kind of keep those guys fresh. I think that's that's kind of the, the key component of it. Um, but with the way that the, the linebackers, they, they've come along, they're still struggling a bit. Uh, you, know, I think you've got to have that that defensive front uh, at least along the line, uh, be steady and solid and let them do the bulk of the work. And that frees up those linebackers to be able to make some plays uh, without having as much pressure on them when, when that line gets gets shifted back you know, into that second level. All right, prediction time, Jason. I'm coming to you first. Uh, Carolina App State, 3.30 in Keenan Stadium. Uh, Buck Sanders asked the question on the message board, is it a must-win your thoughts on that, your thoughts on player of the game, and your thoughts on the outcome. Um, to, to quote the, the great Marv Levy, uh, must win? No. World War II was a must win. This is a game. <laughs> Do so, not tell that to people <laughs> around these parts. Well, you know, I think Levy had his head on straight there. But um, 
but I mean, it's a game you definitely you dang well want to win. You're playing an in-state team. Uh, you're coming off a loss that stung a little bit, and you're playing a Sun Belt team that you should beat. So, yeah, I mean, it's a win. It, it's one that you you certainly don't want to lose. But I mean, what game do you want to lose? I mean, I guess you're taking Clemson, Clemson as a probable loss, and maybe you don't regard that in the same in the same realm because that's a team that you expect to lose to. So yeah, I mean, other than that, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's a game. It's just like all the other games you want to win it. Um, as far as my, my predictions, my thoughts on this, I mean, I think the biggest thing is can Carolina find a way to control the, the, the front, the line of scrimmage on both sides, which they should be able to do in this game. And that's one of the big differences between Drinkwitz's offenses at, at North Carolina state where they, They've had some dudes on the on the offensive line, and they've had some really good offensive lines and defensive lines of late. And they've, by and large, controlled the line of scrimmage when they've played North Carolina in those wins. And that's why they've won the game. I don't think that App has that big of that that advantage up front. And Carolina needs to make sure that they win up front. If they win up front, I think they win the game. I think they do win sufficiently up front, but I think this is an uncomfortably close game. Uh, I do like what, I, what I've what i seen in terms of uh, the matchup between Howell and the, the Carolina passing game against App State's secondary, which has struggled a little bit so far this year. And I think that's the, that's the other factor. So I'm going to go with North Carolina winning this game, uh, let's say uh, 38 to 34. Is that a shootout, Greg? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll get quite that high, but I, yeah, it's hard to disagree with anything Jason said there. I do find the uh, must-win game component of this particular game. Um, it's got some teeth to it, you know. I, I'm I'm typically a person that if it's not a conference game, you can't say it's a must-win game. And this is a this is a non-conference game. Uh, that matters a lot in the state, but in terms of what North Carolina wants to accomplish in terms of playing and competing for the coastal title. So then get to the championship game. This game does not matter whatsoever. However, North Carolina has lost eight straight games in state opponents. This would be nine. If they were to lose this game, that is not a good look for the flagship university of the state. Uh, the other aspect too, is you, I had North Carolina at Owen two to start the year. And so if North Carolina were to lose this game, you lose all of that momentum. You lose all of that energy and hype that you'd build up by knocking off South Carolina and Miami because most likely you're going to be on a three-game losing streak and sitting at two and three going into October uh, with Clemson coming up. So I'm hesitant to say that it is a must-win game. I think it is a, a much more important game than I had assumed it would be just from that standpoint in terms of continuing the, the trend. Uh, but you know, I do think this is a game. I'm a, I was a big Scott Satterfield fan. He was always able to get his teams up for these types of games. I think, I think the team will be ready to play. And you know, we talked about energy at the very beginning. If North Carolina matches that intensity that App State brings, North Carolina wins this game. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that that happens. The problem is if, if App State plays with greater sense of urgency, more energy, if you, if you want to call it that, then it becomes very interesting. Uh, 
Um, but I've got North Carolina winning this one. I don't have it quite as high of a scoring game as Jason said, just because I've been really impressed with what, what Jay Bateman has done. And I just have a hard time seeing App State score quite that many points. Uh, but I've got North Carolina winning this one in a tight affair. I think Carolina probably scores late uh, to kind of push the, the scoring margin of you know, a little bit further apart. But I've got North Carolina winning this one 31 hmm, 24. Pretty similar to where I had it. I, uh, you know, when I was looking at the season thus far, if there was a game Carolina um, could lose and it not be that huge a deal, I think it was last Friday night. Now, it's made a lot of people upset um, to lose the Wake Forest, but I felt like they had to beat what they, they, well, they really needed to beat South Carolina because um, South Carolina recruits against Carolina. They bark all the time. Carolina needed to win that. Miami's in the coastal. You need to get the coastal win to get the tiebreaker um, down the road. Wake Forest, yeah, it, it, it'd be nice to beat Wake Forest. Um, the, two Wake Forest fans in my life had something to say about it on Monday. Um, but other than that, maybe it was a wake-up call. This is a game, for reasons you mentioned, Greg, that Carolina has got to win. They, they've got to beat App State, not for the fan base, but they've got to beat App State for themselves. And that's to be able to be at a situation going into Clemson at 3-1 and one, um, and then see what happens against Clemson. But regardless of what happens against Clemson, if they emerge from September with three wins, they are far ahead of the game. They are far ahead of schedule for Matt Brown's second tenure. I believe I had them beating App State in the preseason. Buck says I didn't. I'd have to go back and listen to the tape. Uh, but at any rate, I'm going to go Carolina 33, App State 21. I see some sort of play. I don't know if you guys remember East Carolina and Carolina and Keenan Stadium back in maybe – 2000, 2001-ish, where East Carolina had a breakaway touchdown on a kickoff return or a punt return, and somebody for Carolina punched it out. It ended up being a touchback and kind of broke the Pirate spirit. I see a similar type game for App State. May change my mind in the bowls a lot. We'll see. That's two now, days hey, away. Hey, hang on, Tommy. Just, I want to make sure. <laughs> this is this is not a peer pressure situation, is it? Because you you leaned on that crutch pretty hard early in the week me and Jason <laughs> changed your mind about the weight game. No, because I'm pretty sure I picked Carolina in the preseason in this game. Um, I had them losing the wake and that's where y'all got me. Y'all suckered me into believing the hype and uh, it's y'all's fault that I, I missed one thus far this season. <laughs> You're right. This is um, my own free will and volition. I'm picking Carolina 33, 21 over app state on Keenan. If I change it in the bowls lot, then you can slap me upside the head because we'll all be out there on Saturday. I hope listeners will be out there and join us in the bowls lot. 1230, countdown to kickoff show with Inside Carolina and Ron Stutz. Inside Carolina's hour is at 1.30 to 2.30, but we'll be there the whole time. Jason and Greg, uh, we'll miss you Saturday, Jason. Uh, I wish I could be there. We will certainly talk again soon. Greg, I'll see you on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. 
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.